0: I was given an opportunity to speak on a Sunday night, and I was given this opportunity to speak and It was probably uh about five hundred people or something like that, the very first time I ever preached a message and I can remember um, that I, I preached this message, and I was talking about fear and i was i just I kind of told a funny story, and people were laughing, and then I talked about fear, and it was just like people were connecting with it, and and I read God's word, and like it was just it was all jiving together, and I made some I made some uh, I, I made some, uh, some points that all started with L, you know, and it all clicked together just like you're supposed to do, you know, and, and and like everybody was like, wow, this guy's really called to preach, and 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 I really got a lot of like encouragement through that. So a lot of people came up to me and told me how you know, obviously the Holy Spirit of God has anointed you, and you are called to preach, and it's obvious, and all this kind of stuff, right? So I was thinking, hey, this preaching gig is pretty easy, you know what I mean? Like, I, you know, I studied, and then I read God's Word, and I came up with some words that started with L, and then I stood up there, and everybody really enjoyed it, you know? I was like, wow, that's, you know, that's, that's a pretty good gig. I like that, you know? So what happened right there? Obviously, pride has started to set in, and I thought it had something to do with me, Right? I thought, well, you know, obviously I didn't have to do a whole lot, That I just studied a little bit. God will handle the rest, and, and uh, pride is started to set in on me, right? Well, the second sermon, okay, so they thought, okay, well, this dude did all right the first sermon. We'll give him another Sunday night. So another Sunday night rolls along. They give me another opportunity. You did okay this first time. Second time rolls around. I got, like, once again, I got some family members that are out of town. I got this guy who's like a second father to me. He brings his mother to hear me the second time, right? Like he and and I'm just like oh, and and I'm preaching about uh, Abraham and Isaac, right? And I'm talking about like unlimited sacrifice. I'm talking about like deep sacrifice, and that's what the whole message is on. And I preached for about eight minutes, and I said everything I knew about the Bible in eight minutes. Okay, and it was the worst message that I think I've ever done in my whole life. And and I remember, I well, I say I remember. I don't remember what I said. I remember looking at my notes, and it looked like Charlie Brown's teacher. It was like, wah, 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 Like, I couldn't even read my notes. I had no idea what I had written down. I just got up there and said some stuff. And let me tell you, in, in an instant, nothing will humble you like standing in front of 500 people and looking like a fool as you stand up there and try to try to make yourself make sense when you're talking about God's Word. God humbled me in an instant. And I have learned that lesson, and that was—I don't know how long ago that was, but it was probably in excess of ten years ago. But. I I still remember that. And I remember that each and every time I get up here and, and start to preach God's word because I know that I do not wanna let pride creep in. I do not wanna let pride take hold in my life because I know how that feels when God has to humble you and has to let you see that this is really about him and this has nothing to do with me. And it is all about the glory of Christ and he deserves all the glory and all the honor and all the praise for anything that I could ever possibly say. And I just wanna make that abundantly clear today so I might be able to speak something that will make sense to you today, okay? So um, let me tell you that that it is very easy, especially for somebody that stands up here, it is very easy to let pride creep in. And, and, And as leaders, if you're a leader in any kind of way, if you're a boss at work, if you're the leader of your family because you're the husband, you're the man of the household, it is very easy for pride to creep in because you think that what has happened and, and, and your leadership role has happened as a result of what you have done as opposed to recognizing that that has come from God, that God is the giver of everything, that we talked about his sovereignty and, and the fact that, that he is in the control of every single thing. So every single thing that you have as a result of what God has given you. And so often you can, you know how you can... You can uh you can look at, at how prideful you are. You know how you can look and see whether or not you've become prideful in that position of leadership that you have? By looking at how much you're willing to give. By looking at how much you're willing to give back to the kingdom of God because he's the one that gave it all in the first place. Therefore, anything that you have, is already belo- it already belongs to him. Therefore, you have no issue with giving it away. That is one way with, in which you can evaluate your pridefulness in, in the place that you're in. Is you want to look at how much you recognize that the place that you're in is given to you from, by God? Look at how easily, you are, how easily it is for you to give things away, how easily it is for you to relinquish things. And then you will see exactly where you stand in your position of pridefulness. And we are going to talk about a guy named Samson today that we've been talking about for the past couple of weeks. and He's got an issue with pride. I mean, he's a big strong man, right? So everybody knows the, the story of Samson. I'll reiterate it for you a little bit. It's one of those stories where when you read it, it's kind of like watching Shrek, you know? You saw the previews, you're like, you thought this was a movie about a big green guy and a donkey, and then you, you watch it, and you're like, oh, I didn't know there was all these adult topics in there. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't know that there was that much in there, you know? And sure enough, when you dig into Samson, we've already talked about some of the stuff that's happened in his life, and, and, and so we talked about his parents being very godly people. And we talked about the fact that they were sacrificial in their nature and the fact that when Samson was, was being born, they just wanted to know how they were supposed to raise this young man up and how he was supposed to be supposed to live. And, and then we talked about how Samson, once he was born and the things he started to do is he was supposed to be under this Nazarite law, which means that he couldn't drink. He wasn't supposed to, to touch anything that was dead, right? And he wasn't supposed to cut his hair. That was the three rules that were supposed to govern his life, right? Well, he was very flippant with those rules. He didn't really abide by those rules. He, he goes and he finds this woman who's a Philistine woman. He says she's hot, and he says, hey, mom, dad, go get that woman for me. I, I want her, you know? And, and he's got no regard for, you know, what God wants for his life. It's just he thinks she's hot, so he, he's like, Let's, I want her, you know? His parents reluctantly give in because he's nagging him to death. He's like, Okay, fine. So he goes and he has this wild party, you know. He's having a party at Club La Vila, you know. and, and <laughs> Sorry. This section of the room got it. I don't know if y'all did, but this section of the room got it. So anyway, so he's having a, a, a party for his, for his bachelor party. And, 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 like, he's not supposed to have any alcohol. Do you think that he's probably having some alcohol considering it's a seven-day party at La Vila? You know, of course he is, you know. and And, and on his way to go to the party, he kills the lion, and and he's like, he rips it apart, and there's bees that are, are, are infesting in the lion, and they make honey in there, and he digs out the honey and gives some to his parents, and they're like enjoying the honey on the way, and all this kind of stuff, and he's not supposed to touch dead stuff, he's not supposed to be having these wild parties with a lot of drinking and all this, and he's just very flippant, very arrogant with these things that God has called him to do. He just, his parents understand, man, they saw they saw the Angel of the Lord come down and like and, and go ascend back to heaven after they had told them what what how he was supposed to live, so they understood, man, once you see the angel of the Lord ascend to heaven, it makes an impression on you and and, and Samson they tr- probably tried to convince him, man you don 't understand how big of a deal this is. We saw the angel of the Lord, and he told us what you 're supposed to do and how you 're supposed to live, and Samson was just very, very flippant with these rules that, that his parents had told him that he was supposed to live by uh, according to what the angel of the Lord had told him to do. So anyway, so what happens? So we've got this whole soap opera situation going on, right? So so he, he's giving honey to his parents and they're making this whole arrangement thing and uh, for his wedding and all this kind of stuff. And then what do we find out that happens at the end of chapter 14? Where do we kind of leave it off? So he makes a bet with the, the guys at his bachelor party and says, hey, I've got a riddle for you. If you can figure it out, then I'll give you some clothes. And if you can't figure it out, then you give me some clothes. And you know they got this whole men's warehouse thing going on. And it's like he's trying to figure out if they if they're as smart as he is, and all this kind of stuff. And finally, his bride to be convinces him to tell uh, to tell him what, to tell her what the what the riddle is all about. She goes back and tells these men because they threatened her life and her family's life if she didn't tell them and. All of a sudden, we got this whole thing going, going on, and what does he say? He said, <laughs> you remember what he said? He tells these guys, well, if you hadn't plowed with my heifer, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. My wife has to teach in the kids' department today, and I don't know if y'all know this, but our, our pattern for the kids' department is you teach in the kids' department what we taught last week. So she was talking to me about how she was teaching back there this week, and she was like, okay, so I got to talk about that kegger party and the heifer, right? So that's what I got to teach the kids out of Judges chapter 14 today, that's what I'm supposed to cover back there in the children's department. I said, yeah, good luck with that. Um, but there is a riddle in there somewhere about some honey, so you could, you know, cover that with them too. That'll be good. So anyway, um, so anyway, so, so he says, if you hadn't plowed in my heifer, then you wouldn't have figured out this riddle. And anyway, so what happens? It ends up in the end of chapter 14. This is where we kind of left off last week, you know, as the world turns, it says, so his wife was given in marriage to the man who had been samson 's best man at the wedding ha <laughs> right yeah, so you know you got you got the doctor and then the nurse, and you know this is like the the whole uh general hospital thing going on here, so chapter fifteen begins like this so we 're just going to go through here and and we 're going to point out some things, and we 're just going to continue in the story and You know, what we can draw out of here, we'll draw out of here, but I want you to just kind of see what's going on in Samson's life. I want you to kind of understand this, man. As you look through here in Samson's life, you will really see more bad than you see good, and that's just the reality, and that's the way God's Word is, and I don't think we need to gloss over that. I think we need to look at it, see what it says. All right, so chapter 15 says, later on, during the wheat wheat harvest, this is actually going to be important in just a second. Samson took a young goat as a present to his wife. Yeah, whatever. You know what I mean? Like, how many of you guys have went out shopping for a ring and said, No, nah, I'll tell you what, I'll go with a goat. You know what I mean? Like, she would rather have diamonds. You know, diamonds are a girl's best friend, but goats are second best. You know what I mean? Like, so he gets her a goat. <laughs> I'm going to try this. <laughs> like, come in with a goat. I got you something. <laughs> Sorry, I, I know the culture's different, okay, but still, that's just funny to me. I just, I can't help but to picture that in my mind. So, then we get into the uncomfortable next verse. He said, I'm going in to sleep, <laughs> to my, my wife's room to sleep with her, but her father wouldn't let him in. So, it was customary in those days for them to take naps together. That was a joke, okay. So, nobody laughed at that. <laughs> So, so to entice her, apparently, he brought her a goat. <laughs> but the father wouldn't let him in, of course, you know, because obviously we read back at the end of chapter 14, unbeknownst to Samson, what had happened is he had given it, the lady away to somebody else, and it says, Samson, excuse me, I truly uh, thought you must hate her, her father said, her father explained, so I gave her in marriage to your best man. Oops, yeah. So, But look, her younger sister is even more beautiful than she is. Marry her instead. Wow, what a tangled web we weave, right? I mean, like this, her sister's hotter than she is. Why don't you marry her instead, you know? I I didn't write it, y'all. It's in there. You're reading it, right, along with me. So anyway, so, um, and this was customary to do this kind of stuff in their day. So anyway, Samson said, This time I cannot be blamed for everything I I am going to do to you Philistines. Then he went out and and caught 300 foxes. This is really weird, but it's pretty cool too at the same time. He tied their tails together. I don't know how you catch 300 foxes to begin with, but that in itself is pretty cool. It's humorous, okay? I'm just reading it. It's, It's humorous. So he catches 300 foxes, he tied their tails together in pairs, and he fastened a torch to each pair of tails. Then he lit the torches and let the foxes run to the grain fields of the Philistines. What a great practical joke. You know what I mean? He burned their, uh, all their grain to the ground, including their sheaves and uncut grain. He also destroyed their vineyards and olive groves. And remember it said the beginning is during the wheat harvest. So this is, this is a time where they can't necessarily replace their grains that he's burning down. This is going to hurt them really bad. So this is going to put a lot of division between the Philistines and the Israelites. See, they really only lived... See, the, the problem with, with where Simpson lived and where the Philistines lived is, is this little area, they were only about a mile apart. And I told you that they really became ingrained in each other's culture. And this was a problem for God's people. Uh, this particular tribe had become so close to this particular tribe of Philistines that they became very integrated. And, and even in spite of the fact that that, you know, Samson is doing all this stupid stuff, it's actually accomplishing the purposes of God. And what God is trying to do is drive a wedge in between the Philistines and the Israelites so that they're not so comfortable with each other. And that's the theme that we're going to kind of continue to see throughout this passage, is that we're going to continue to see that even in spite of Samson's, you know, stupid mistakes and selfish motivations, that, that God is actually using this to drive a wedge between these two groups. And so he catches these foxes, man, and ties their tails together. I don't know how you do that. And he attaches a torch to them and sends them out into the fields and just, like, devastates all their grain. And it says he even uh, even destroys their their vineyards and olive groves. So, I mean, he's he's basically wiped out everything they have for sustenance for the Philistines. The Philistines get mad. Who did this? The Philistines demanded. Samson was the reply because his father-in-law... From Timnus gave Samson's wife to be married to his best man. Uh Uh-oh. So the Philistines went and got the woman and her father and burned them to death. I know, right? It's crazy stuff. But this is how barbaric the Philistines were. And I think that God put this in his word to show that this is how the Philistines were. And this is even more of a reason for God to want to drive a wedge between the Israelites and the Philistines to say that this is not the kind of people you should be associating with. This is not the kind of people that should be integrated in with your lifestyle. These are the kind of people that will go and and like, if they are mad at you, they will go and and burn you. That's not the kind of people you should be hanging around. So we have to pause there for a second, right? Are, Are there people hanging around in your life that are barbaric in a lot of ways, doing things that should not be done? And you call yourself a Christian, you call yourself a person of God, you call yourself somebody who loves Jesus, but yet you hang around with some people that don't love Jesus. Am I saying, am I saying that you're never supposed to be around a person that that is not a Christian? No, I'm not saying that. But there is a difference, there is a difference between being around a non believer and being integrated in with non believers. You know what I'm saying? so so there there's there's this thing that, that God calls being yoked, okay, being yoked be now now, some people say that that's just being married, and that is true to a degree, but it's also involving yourself and integrating your lives in such a way that you're tied together. and I want you to understand today that there are sometimes. When when you are tied together with some people that are going to have some devastating influences on you, going to drag you into some places where you don't need to be, and the character of their life is such that it is not of God, and God wants to drive a wedge between those and separate those things so that you are not entangled and interweaved with their way of life. And and, and that's what we see what's what's going on here, is that God is doing that very thing. So he's trying to sever that relationship, trying to break that weave that's going on. And in your life, in my life, there are times when this happens. That There, there are people in our lives who are, that are not supposed to be there. And, and what happens? A lot of times we'll see that. The Holy Spirit of God will reveal that to us, maybe through his word or maybe through something we've heard or seen or maybe through a church service like this, and, and God is, is trying to drive that wedge. Now, you can resist that. You, can all, you always have the option to resist the will of God. You always have the option to try to push back when God is trying to do something. But I want you to know that you need to take an honest look at what God's doing in your life, and you need to be responsive to that. And you need to, you need to be able to evaluate the people around you and say, am I around those people, or are they interweaved in my life in such a way that they're having an influence on me? And you really need to take an honest inventory of that. And it needs to be something that you really look at every single day and in every single relationship that you have. And it's, it's very common in, in the teenage years. It's very common. I know that you want to hang out with people that, that you get along with. You don't want to be the weirdo, all that kind of stuff. It's very common for you to, enter, to intertwine and, and entangle yourself with some relationships, man, that are just going to gonna destroy your relationship with God, and you end up doing some stuff that you do not need to be doing. It's just a reality, and it's, it's something that you're going to deal with every single day of your life, especially as a teenager, especially as a 20-something. Adults, we deal with this as well. Mostly at work, by the way. That's mostly where we deal with it uh, as adults. We can kind of separate ourselves as friendships and stuff like that, but at work, we're, we tend to be intertwined with them in such a way that, that we, we allow those people to kind of come in more so at work. You need to keep that in mind, too. So look at those relationships at work and see how those are. So they burned them to death. Samson, he's about to be an instrument of God again. Because you did this, Samson vowed, I won't rest until I take my revenge on you. So he attacked the Philistines with great fury and killed many of them. Then he went to live in a cave in the Rock of Edom. So what happened? Samson has this this tendency that when he gets mad, he kills people. And that's exactly what happened. And when he wants to take revenge, he kills people. We're going to point out something in just a moment when we get to the end of uh, chapter 15. And I want you to kind of take a look at this. Um, But just remember what we're we're seeing here, these decisions that he's making, these paths that he's walking down. Verse 9 says, The Philistines retaliated by setting up camp in Judah and spreading out near the town of Lehi. The men of Judah asked the Philistines, "Why are you attacking us?" Now, once once again, they're, they're, what has happened is the Philistines are coming in and they're setting up these camps, these military camps, in the middle of Judah, and they're they're like, and and they're they're going like, "Why why are you why are you bringing your military in here? What, what's going on?" The Philistines replied, "We've come to capture Samson. We've come to pay him back for what he did to us." And they're like, "Oh no!" So it says, "So three thousand men of Judah went to get Samson." At the cave at the Rock of Edom. So what happens? They're like the only way that we can get them out of here is if we go and find Samson ourselves. That we we don't want to be you know infiltrated by them being you know setting up camp and all over town, and we don't want them to be all over us all the time. The only way we're going to get them out of here is if we turn Samson over to them. Now the Israelites they know where Samson is. They know where he's hiding out. So they're like, well, let's go get Samson ourselves. So they got. 3,000 men, and then went to get Samson out of the, out of the cave. They said to Samson, don't you realize the Philistines rule over us? What are you doing to us? Man, come on. You know, like, come on. Help us out. Give a brother a break. But Samson replied, I only did to them what they did to me. And he's like, "I pay back an eye for an eye, you know? That's, that's his mentality right here, right? Man, I'm only, give, only dishing out uh, what, what they did to me. Now, is that exactly true? Do you think if you, you go and, and you kill like thousands of Philistines, that that's the same as like the, his feelings getting hurt or them them killing a couple of people? I don't think that it's equal. I don't think that Samson's necessarily seeing things. Uh, I think Samson, because of his pride, is a little bit irrational. Do you think that sometimes when pride creeps into our lives, that we don't always see things as equal? You know, we, we see things, oh, this is a big deal in my life, you know what I mean, therefore... Therefore, it's a big deal everywhere. You turn a mountain into a molehill, you know what I'm talking about? Like when, when pride really starts to creep in, it's like anything that happens to us, we're ultra-sensitive, right? We get super-duper sensitive, like, oh, I can't believe somebody would do that to me. Don't they know who I am? You know what I mean? That's one way to look at pride in your life, too, is how sensitive you are, right? How sensitive you are to the things that people say about you. Uh, can, 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 you can you take those things and say, you know what? I belong to God. I'm I'm, I'm a child of God. Whatever I have is because God has given it to me. Whatever position I have is because God has given it to me. You, You can criticize me all day long, but if you're criticizing me about the position that I have or the place that I'm in, you have to be criticizing God because God is the one that put me in this place. Having that place of humility in your mind and in your heart allows you to be able to take that criticism and say, you know what, I'm doing the very best that I can. And I understand that you may not be happy, but I don't know that it's me that you're not happy with. I believe it may be you that you're not happy with. I I, I can tell you that 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 a friend of mine told me this a long time ago, and and I have never forgotten it. It It's a fellow minister of mine, and he he told me, I said, I said, there are people that for whatever reason they just hate my guts. I don't know why. I, I like I have never done anything to them. I have never said anything to them, never been negative to them in any way. I said, they hate my guts. I said, I don't know why. I would like to know why. I would like to be able to ask those people, why do you hate me? What, what did I do to you? Did, did I love you and then I stabbed you in the back? What did I do, you know? And he told me, he said, he said, Kenny, really, honestly, sometimes people hate about you what they see in themselves that they hate. If they see something in you that is a reflection of what they hate about themselves, they'll hate that in you, the fact that you reveal that in themselves. And I have never forgotten that. And there have been so many times where I've seen that to be true, where people, that they, they hate something about me. And I look, and, and, and the thing that they hate about me is exactly what they struggle with in their own life. And, and, and I want to tell you that, that in your life, man, when, when people start to hate you about something, especially when you've got that interwoven thing going on with you and somebody, when they start to hate something about you, and you're like, why do they hate that about me? Take a look at their life. Take a look at what's going on with them and see maybe, maybe just maybe what's going on is their struggle with pride is the fact that they're looking at you and they see something about themselves that they hate and you're just revealing that and that, that pride in them is, is causing them to hate you as a result of what is being revealed inside their own heart. Think about that when you're, when you're thinking about this issue of pride. So here, I only did to them what they did to me. So he's, He's got this whole whacked-out view of, of equal. It says, The men of Judah told him, We have come to tie you up and hand you over to the Philistines. All right, Samson said, But promise me that you won't kill me yourselves. Now, Samson, knowing the whole time that these guys are not going to be able to kill him, you know, he's just using them as a ploy, and he's like, All right, so fine. Just promise me you won't, you won't hurt me, guys. Okay. We will only tie you up and hand you over to the Philistines, they replied. We won't kill you. So they tied him up. with with two new ropes, and brought him back, uh, brought him up from the rock. As Samson uh, arrived at Lehi, the Philistines came shouting in triumph. They were excited. Uh, But the Spirit of the Lord powerfully came upon Samson, and he snapped the ropes on on his arms as if they were burnt strands of flax, and they fell from his wrist. He he found a jawbone of a recently killed donkey. We all know this story. He picked picked it up. And killed a thousand Philistines with it. Then Samson said, "With the jawbone of a donkey, I have piled up and piled them up, piled them in heaps. With the jawbone of a donkey, I have killed a thousand men." And here we see Samson. Even uh, we we see that the spirit of the Lord has come upon him, right, and he's able to have this this powerful strength that is supernatural, right? And and we see what is God doing here. God, once again, is driving that wedge between these interwoven people. He's trying, once again, to separate these two groups of people that have been interwoven together, and he's he's using Samson as an instrument in that. Now, Now, Samson, even though he's egotistical and even though he's prideful, God is still using him in this way, and God is still able to accomplish his purpose and his will. Does that mean that God wouldn't be able to accomplish his purpose and his will if Samson hadn't been prideful? No, that's not what it means. It just means that God's sovereign hand is on this situation and God is still at work and his hand is still in this situation. But Samson happens to be prideful and egotistical and self-centered so much so that he goes on to make a song about how many Philistines he killed. How boastful is that? Do you want to make a song about how many people you killed? It's one thing to take out people and, and having to do something because, because you know what, they're, they're against the ways of God, they're, they worship other gods, they're idolistic and they do barbaric things. It's one thing to have to destroy them, it's another thing to make a song about it. You know what I mean? I, it's just, I, I, I understand that, that, you know, that we have to take out our enemies and Osama bin Laden, you know, taking him out, I understand that. But I, I don't understand like like singing praises about it. I, I just like it was a, a human being whose life was taken and I just like okay, fine, we had to do that. I understand that, but like it's still a human life. So let's just say, okay, we did that. Let's move on. I, I don't I don't think we should make a song about it, you know. And I'm not sure that everybody has that same view as me, and that's okay, and I, I, you're free to disagree with me about that, but I, I just believe that human life is very precious, and I believe that God sees every human life as precious, so I don't know that we need to celebrate every single victory that involves a human death, you know? We have to do things that are necessary, and I'm all on board with that, and I completely agree with that, but to take it to the next level, to actually sing a song about it, just it bothers me. It genuinely bothers me. Verse 17 says this. When he was finished boasting, he threw away the jawbone, and the place was named Jawbone Hill. Samson was now very thirsty. This is where it kind of gets to the nitty-gritty of the whole passage, right? We're down to the last few verses of chapter 15. So Samson was now very thirsty, and he cried out to the Lord, You have accomplished this great victory by the strength of your servant." Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of these pagans? So God caused water to gush out of the hollow in the ground at Lehi. And Samson was survived as he drank. Then he named the place, the spring of the one who cried out. And it is still in Lehi to this day. Samson judged Israel for 20 years during the period when the Philistines dominated the land. Did you notice that we have been reading about Samson... And these different chapters. And we've looked at story after story about different things that have happened. Ever since he was born, man, we've looked at these different things that have happened. And never have we seen him cry out to the Lord for his decision making, for God's will to be done, for God's purposes to be accomplished. All we see is Samson gets thirsty at the end of killing all these men, and he says, God, give me something to drink. God give me something to drink. I'm thirsty. The people of Israel would have seen this and they would have thought about the desert. They would have thought about wandering around in the desert and how God had delivered them from their enemies. And then they come and they're out in the desert and they're on their own and they're free. And what would they have said? God, you delivered us from our enemies only to bring us out into the desert so that we could die of thirst and die of hunger. Is that really what you had in pl- plan for us? Is that really the intention that you had for our lives? That you could rescue us just so that we would die of thirst? And then God would make water come out of a rock, right? And the people of Israel would have instantly thought of that when they heard the story of Samson. For us in our lives, sometimes we look at the story of God in our lives and we see God rescue us. We see God take us from one place to another. And and then we see this next trial, this next difficulty. And we say, God, you've rescued me to this point only to let me die here. Is that really what's going on? God's not finished. God's purposes have not been fully accomplished. God still has work to do. God's been faithful before and he'll be faithful again. So many times we look and say, God's not going to provide a way out this time. He provided a way out last time, but this time it's too much. This time there's not going to be a way out. God is faithful to always provide a way out. You will not be tempted beyond what you can stand. God will always provide a way of escape for you. So many times we look at our lives and say, man, this is too much. I'm not going to be able to take it. Maybe in, in your life today, maybe your pride Maybe your pride's got you intertwined with some relationships that you don't need to be intertwined with. And you think, man, there's no way out of this. I'm too tightly woven with these other people. I'm too close to them. Maybe it's a relationship. And you're saying, man, there's no way out of here. God will always provide a way out. Maybe you've got a work relationship or you've got something going on at work and you're like, I don't need to be at this place of work. And and, and, and you're like, there's no way I I can get out of this. God will always provide a way out. It may not be the way that you think that he will, but God will provide a way out. What you don't need to do is do what Samson did, and that is to let your pride take over. What you need to do is every single step that you take, every single decision that you're making in the process of life, you need to be going to God with that. You need to be crying out to the Lord in every single situation, and not just waiting until you're dead thirsty, not just waiting until you're on the brink of death, But every single time you're making decisions, instead of them being selfish decisions about what you want, you take them to God and humbly ask, God, what is it that you want with my life? Imagine the difference it would have made in Samson's life if he just said, God, who do you want me to marry? He he went over to Timnah and he found this girl that he decided he wanted to marry. What if that day Samson said, God, where do you want me to go today? Am I supposed to go over to the Philistines? Is that where you want me to go today? And once he saw that girl, maybe he was tempted, maybe he saw her, she was very beautiful. He said, God, is that the one that you have for me? We don't see that in Samson's life. What do we see? We see Samson racing after, tearing after what he wants, what he desires. And then when things get desperate, after he's done all these things making his own decisions, when he gets desperate, he cries out to the Lord, God, I'm thirsty. I've done all these things and now I'm empty and I'm hungry and I'm thirsty and I, I need something from you. Don't let that be the pattern of your life. Don't wait to cry out to the Lord when things get desperate. And every single step that you take and every relationship that you have is God's working in your life. Maybe to sever some relationships. Cry out to the Lord. For your relationship with, with God, humble yourself and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. Cry out to God. As you're looking and seeking for a way out, cry out to God. And even when you get in that desperate place, you say, okay, I, I missed all those other opportunities. Now I'm to the place where I'm thirsty and I'm in the desert. What do I do? Cry out to God. Cry out to God. Maybe today is your desert experience. That's okay too faithfulness of God he's continuing to work he's continuing to open the doors he's continuing he brought you here for this purpose for you to have this time for this moment for you to cry out to God don't miss it don't don't, don't, don't let it pass you by because you're, you're you're focused on yourself and what you want to do ignoring the calling of God don't let it pass you by God brought you here for a reason there's a purpose and a plan for you don't let it pass you by Father thank you so much for this precious word God, I know that there are people here that are hurting in all different kinds of ways. And maybe some of that hurt is a result of some decisions that they've made. Maybe some of the decisions that they've made is, is some things that, that have been selfish in nature, some things that maybe relationships have been built because of some things that they've done or said or maybe just wanting to fit in. Or maybe it's been a, a, a relationship where they were just thought that they could fix the other person. I, I don't know what the situation might be, but you do. Maybe those decisions, God, have caused a huge burden on their lives. Father, I pray that those people would cry out to you. God, maybe there's some people here that that they've got some stuff going on in their life and it's no fault of their own. It's just things that have happened. God, I pray that they would cry out to you. Maybe it's sickness. Maybe it's broken relationships. Maybe they can't see the plan of God in their life right now. And and maybe they're just wondering if you care about them, if, if you're really sovereign, if you've really got a plan they would cry out to you. pray that they would seek your face. God, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them. I pray that, God, you would just show them your deep grace and mercy and love that you have for them. And then, Father, for the person who has never cried out to you, they've never genuinely cried out to you because their heart does not belong to you. God, they've never fully given their heart completely to you. God, I pray that today they would surrender to you. Say, Jesus Christ is my Lord, and I give him all that I am, and I forever will be a living sacrifice. I pray that they would cry out to you today. God, whatever people are struggling with, however they are, God, however they are in need today, God, I pray that they would cry out to you. Because you are the answer. Lord Jesus, speak and may we respond.